Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. I'm Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's State House team. I'm joined by my better half, Jason Tidd. Jason, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Andrew. And sorry, listeners, we can't say happy Friday to John. He is not able to be with us today. And uh, when John listens to this, it'll be shorter than the typical podcast he listens to. Because we gotta we gotta save some time for when he comes back to to make up for lost time. We'll, we'll make it up for you listeners with the uh, with the next podcast being two hours. <laughs> Maybe not that. It's a, it's a person who has to edit the podcast. I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, it is just a two man crew this week. But we are sufficiently chill. Don't worry. We're we're like taking breathing exercises and though you're also a little down today with all the rain yeah the mood it kind of rain rain today it was a rainy friday in topeka and it's kind of killing the mood a little bit yeah i mean it was also right killing the mood to write about drought hurting the wheat crop while we in topeka were getting rain but it was too little too late to help a lot of the farmers well, but by the time this podcast goes to air, people can go read your story about drought, right? They can, uh, but we are not here to talk about agriculture today. Which I think all the farmers probably would appreciate. That I'd... <laughs> yeah, we, we we are not the new voice of agriculture. We we are not allowed to claim that title. No, but we are able to claim the title of the voice of the education funding bill. <laughs> that doesn't quite have, a, have the same ring to it, does it? But we finally, the governor had, entering the week, two bills left on her desk. She has dispensed with both of them, kind of, with an asterisk, and we'll get to the asterisk in a second. Um, but, Jason, what were those two big bills left for her to deal with? Well, the first was Senate Bill 113, the education budget, the uh, biggest piece of the budget, or biggest single piece, the funding for K-12 schools. Uh, what was it? What Like $6.9 billion? Yeah, and I think over $7 billion for the following year. So a lot of money going uh, to schools. Yeah, and... and Recent practice by the legislature has been to split off the education budget from everything else. And there has been this big question, this big cloud hanging over the state house over whether the education budget is a budget bill that can be line item vetoed. 
Right. The question of whether it's an appropriations bill seems kind of obvious because there's billions of dollars of funding in there, but but it was very much an open legal question. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if this, uh, if the governor's line item veto uh, makes it to court, it'll be a fascinating debate if a lawyer tries to get up and say it is not a budget bill, not an appropriations bill, even though it went through the committee called K-12 Budget <laughs> Committee. Well, so what the governor wound up doing, uh, well, we should say Republicans, as they want to do while spitting off this bill, put some policy measures in there, uh, an expansion of the state's primary school choice mechanism, which is a tax credit program for folks who give to uh, scholarship granting organizations for private school scholarships, uh, uh, private K-12 schools, uh, some other items. And then also there was a controversial change to the school funding formula and Buckle up, folks, because we're going into school finance land, and that's always a bit of an interesting place to be. And, and if you uh, need to pull out your map to find where Fowler is, or Andrew can describe where it is. It's in Meade County, basically to Oklahoma. <laughs> you're, you're almost there. Fowler, uh, the home of former Congressman Tim Hulskamp, among others. Uh, and home to Fowler, the Fowler Unified School District. I'm not going to remember the number. I'm sorry, folks. 225? 219? Uh, Something like whatever that. Whatever it is, that is, uh, whatever 200s number that is, it is a smaller number than what their budget cut would have been from this provision. Yeah, so what the... I'll try to make it not super wonky, but basically what the, the Ed Budget would have done is it would have changed current practice, which says that you can either take one of the preceding two years in figuring out what your enrollment is for school finance purposes. So the idea being that if you're a district that's declining enrollment, you got that extra time, that extra lag to go back to when you had more students to kind of phase down any funding loss that you might see for that. The problem is if you are a growing district, they want to be able to use their current enrollment. You know, they're getting more students all the time. They say they got to hire new, more teachers. They maybe have to expand their facilities to accommodate that. They want to be able to use the most up-to-date numbers. And so what the legislature, uh, Republicans in, in conference committee negotiations decide to do is they put in there saying, you can use the current year enrollment, but districts with declining enrollment, sorry, you can only use the previous year's enrollment, which uh, is bad news for districts like Fowler, which have uh, are, are losing students, common across many rural uh, districts. Even districts like Bonner Springs would have seen a funding cut under this. Yeah, and for some districts, this would have equated to a cut from the projected increase. And why is that, Jason? Oh, so there was a Kansas Supreme Court case back in the 2010s where the Supreme Court said that you have to fully fund schools under the Constitution. Uh, it has to be equitable and uh, adequate. adequate. Uh, and so Kansas has been under orders from the Supreme Court to fully fund schools. Under a specific blueprint that the Kansas Supreme Court signed off on, right? Right. And I mean, there was also debate that, you know, the order requires there to be inflation increases. And uh, mm -hmm. 
before uh, veto session, that was the main talking point of the spring break for lawmakers was if they were going to do away with that automatic inflationary adjustment and if taking away that inflation adjustment was equivalent to a funding cut or not. Which whole whole hours of podcasting could be covered on that one uh, debate. And, and the legislature spared us from needing to talk about it further because they took that out before sending the bill to the governor. But they did add in this new piece and school districts really pushed back and that's because, you know, the Gannon increases helped districts out across the state, but some district is districts already budgeted for that increase and then under this new provision would be getting less money, and 29 districts, of which Fowler was the unlucky loser, would just get an absolute funding cut. They would have less money in the, the coming school year than they did before. Fowler, when you factor in the money that they are allowed to raise under state law locally, would have lost over $500,000 out of what their superintendent told me was a budget of $1.3 million, almost a 50% funding cut it would have scrapped plans for them to merge with a neighboring school district. He said it could have led to them basically dissolving and those students having to go somewhere else. And, and the governor said she <laughs> kept that from becoming a reality. What did she do exactly, Jason? You, you, you got there a little bit earlier, but, but why is this so controversial and, you know, why does the governor think that she can do this? Well, so the Constitution allows for line item, line item vetoing appropriations lines in an appropriations bill. Uh, and this line is not an appropriation in the sense of we are giving X dollars to X project. But it does provide for a formula for funding schools. Right. And the legal argument would be that a formula is appropriating money. Well, and that, and even the debate probably also will center on, is this an appropriations bill? Which again, I think maybe lay people would say it, it kind of is, it has money in there, but the legislature is maintaining it's a policy bill. The governor's pointing to, some procedural rulings on the floor of the state house where it was found to be an appropriations bill. And there are probably other provisions in there, policy provisions, not directly tied to any money, that the governor could have wanted to line item veto, but presumably her attorneys told her you can't because those don't contain any appropriations. Or it's not worth the risk. I, she, she was talking, the governor was talking with reporters today, Friday, and said, you know, I wanted to focus on that potential funding cut for rural districts because she thought that was the most important, was the most pressing, and didn't want to bring in a bunch of extraneous stuff. If it did wind up in court, which it might, a little bit to be determined on that. Uh, and if you're wondering why would rural legislators who are almost exclusively Republican vote for a school budget that would cut funding to rural school districts, well, many of us didn't even know this provision would do this. Yeah, I mean, it, legislators did not 
really by and large realize this was in the bill i think i can comfortably say that and and the school budget didn't pass until the last day of the legislative session which lawmakers got a fair amount of stick for from education groups school districts uh you know leaving it pretty late in the process and at the same time they were kind of toying with a potential separate bill that would have had a big expansion of school choice uh and you know i think school groups would argue maybe you should spend a little more time on (laughs) on the ed budget and part of the reason why earlier i said that asterisk republican lawmakers are calling on the attorney general chris kobach to review this potentially file a legal challenge to block this decision by the governor which it would not be without precedent. Uh, Attorney General Bob Steffen tried this in 1981 with what he viewed to be an unconstitutional line-item veto by then-Governor Carlin. The court said that basically slapped the wrist of the legislature for putting the provision that in question in the budget in the first place and didn't even really get to whether it could be line-item vetoed. <laughs> But that's probably the most analogous case in Kansas history. Uh, Courts do like to find ways to uh, not answer the most political question (laughs) if they can avoid it. That is, which makes our job as reporters a lot harder because then you got to explain kind of complicated legal things, which that's not fun. And fancy Latin terms getting tossed around left and right. And and going into this week, Andrew, we we didn't know what to plan for. We, I mean, there were what four different scenarios. The governor could have signed the whole bill. The governor could have let it become law without her signature. She could have vetoed the whole thing, or she could have done what she did and line item veto it. Yeah, there was a lot of speculation. Education groups were calling on her to veto the whole thing, which would have triggered a special session because we kind of have to fund schools. Uh, I mean, it, it's in the constitution. <laughs> yeah, and you know. It, that's one of the like core things we have to do. <laughs> and so the question would have been, would the governor have gotten a, a deal she would have been more comfortable with had that happened? Seemingly by signing the rest of the bill, her office came to the cl- conclusion that no. And I, I think that's what a lot of people, including Democrats, thought. If you bring legislators back in Kansas, there's nothing keeping them from restricting their activities to the reason for the special session. So... Maybe they would have come back to to do a new ed budget, but they also maybe would have taken a whack at school choice or more anti-transgender bills. Or or there could have been another flip-flop on the flat tax. Right. I I just, I think from what I was hearing from Democrats, there just was not a comfort level with bringing the legislature back. There also is simply the question of we're heading into summer, school is getting out lawmakers have to go back to their jobs they have to find childcare. they might be going on vacation you know there's no guarantee you would have even been able to get a, a get everyone back to topeka to take meaningful action i it would have been a mess i feel confident saying <laughs> mess maybe is the fcc friendly word of <laughs> what would have happened yeah uh- it would have been like the uh, description I got while touring NBAF this week where uh, the material from this NBAF tour is embargoed, but uh, there was a certain 
substance they described as a brown-black <laughs> goo similar to brownie batter. And but definitely th- th- not that, brownie th- batter. <laughs> no. Uh, so, so that's what uh, it would have been like if a special session were called. Well, and you got to go get married. So the real winner in all this... Jason did because he doesn't have to worry about a special session screwing up his wedding. Yes. Uh, I, I'm sorry to all you folks in Topeka, but you would not have been first. I I don't think anyone would have really been offended by that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were talking a lot about line item veto powers. I think maybe we should briefly touch on the other bill the governor dealt with this week where her line item veto powers uh, were front and center, and that was the omnibus budget bill, where uh, it wasn't so much the contents of the bill that got signed that raised some eyebrows. It was that line item veto that I don't think any of us really saw coming. Yeah, so so the omnibus budget has plenty of things, very long, lots you can read about in there. Uh, for our Topeka listeners, you might be interested if you are a state employee that you are going to get a pay raise. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's not what people were talking about, as Andrew said. Uh, there was a provision put in there late that would have sent money to the Quindaro Ruins in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, the Quindaro Ruins. Uh, were a way place along the Underground Railroad for escaped slaves to start a new life. Uh, Everybody agrees, seemingly, that the Quindaro ruins deserve to be honored, but the way they got honored uh, seemed to be as a reward to a Democratic lawmaker, Marvin Robinson of Kansas City, who voted with Republicans to override several of Laura Kelly's vetoes. Well, we say several. He wrote it, He voted with them on, I think, every one of them. I, I believe so, too. I mean, something like a dozen. And I think his votes, uh, as John's story said, uh, were the decisive vote in maybe three of them. Several of them, I mean, most infamously, I think that the transgender athletes ban, which we've covered ad nauseum on this podcast, um, the, I believe the, the increasing work requirements for SNAP, he ultimately mm-hmm. was the deciding vote on. Uh, and then maybe they, like the anti-abortion funding or one of the abortion bills or line items. Well, uh, big policy items. And he, he really was a, a key vote and the the Republican leaders, Republican lawmakers said that Representative Robinson, who has been a longtime advocate for the ruins, I think that's an important piece of this, mm-hmm. pushed to get uh, a federal uh, national historic site designation, has been active in, in trying to educate people on it. Uh, Republicans say he did not know about this, but they appeared to indicate that there was a concerted effort to try and uh, throw him a bone uh, after what has been, at the very least, a, a long session for Representative yeah, Robinson. Yeah, yeah, they maintain there was no quid pro quo, no exchange of votes in exchange for this funding, but they seem to openly acknowledge that it was intended to reward him. They would probably say not reward him for voting with them or reward him for everything that he went through. 
obviously the more cynical among us would argue that, you know, you're, you're trying to help him go back to his district and say he did something. And I mean, even uh, Democrat Senator David Haley uh, of Kansas City, Kansas, gave him some props for for getting this uh, getting funding I mean, or appearing to get funding yeah, I, I mean david haley has been in the legislature since the late 90s and has similarly tried to get acknowledgement for the Quindero ruins and has struggled and and the governor i think maybe raised some eyebrows when she decided to line item veto this i i, I like i said earlier I, I don't think people really saw this coming i Everyone, of course, knew it was a theoretical option. Democrats objected, again, not to really the the idea of giving money to this, but the process. It was added in in the Budget Conference Committee relatively late in the game, which is not unusual for for line items, uh, and, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and, I mean, it's conceivable that the money wasn't going to the Quindaro ruins in the best possible way or the most efficient way that's kind of what the governor and, argued and, and i mean there were, was no testimony about the best way to do this or the amount of money that was needed to do what needs to be done right the, in her veto message the governor basically said i didn't like the process of this we need to make sure you know that if we if we're giving money to this we are we are maximizing its impact and i don't i'm not convinced this does that and and, and Republicans responded, I mean, first with accusing the governor of playing politics, but secondly, by saying that they will come back next session and put it into a bill, which is what the governor would say should have been done in the first place. Right. And it is really interesting that, I mean, the the outcry over this from Republicans was pretty swift. I mean, the some pretty strongly worded statements from House Speaker Dan Hawkins criticizing the governor uh for basically in his eyes taking out some retribution on a i think i called him a maverick uh member of of her own party and one of the few times i've been able to get maverick in a lead and if john were here he would explain that maverick does not is not derived from top gun <laughs> uh, the millennial in me would not have known that a really interesting kind of capstone to a what has been a really strange session <laughs> yeah but we made it now that all the bills have been dealt with i think we can kind of effectively say the 2023 session is over done with Woo. We made it. Signy die means signy die. Signy die does mean there's no special session that I you'll mean, be dragged back here in your tuxedo for. Yeah, I think in the uh, this past week, the governor had some kind of picnic with Democrats and uh, like an end of session picnic. And I mean, could have been a pre-special session picnic. We dodged a bullet there. I teased you all to come back next week to uh, listen to some... NBAF, National Bio and Agro Defense Facility yeah, you'll discussion. Be, you'll be going out to that ribbon cutting this week, right? Yeah, yeah. I was out there uh, for a tour this past Wednesday, uh, Thursday. Days run together. Uh, and I made it out alive, didn't get arrested. And um, no zootic diseases. Nope. And, and there's no diseases them. there yet. Yeah, they are not doing testing or research and won't be for 
several more months. Uh, but there will be a ribbon cutting next week. I will be there. So will Pat Roberts and Jerry Moran and other big wigs probably, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, so if you want to read about that, go to cjonline.com. And uh, before then, there is plenty of re- to read about from us, yours truly, uh, as well as the rest of the CJ Online staff. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at CJ Online. Like us on Facebook. Go to Instagram. I think we have a TikTok, but we don't post there, so don't expect any of Jason twerking in the NBATH lab. I, if I had pulled out my phone to take video of that. You would have uh, gotten shot, probably. Not shot, just uh, the threat of 30 days in jail and a $10,000 fine. And uh, TikTok, TikTok is not worth that to me. <laughs> if it was on a government uh, internet connection, you might not be able to use it anyway. So. <laughs> they, they did not ban TikTok this year. Well, the feds have, though, haven't they? On, on federal oh, oh maybe so so i guess no researchers will be watching tiktok and well incinerating some cows um anyway yeah, yeah I, I i hope you are not listening to this on your lunch break <laughs> jason if people want uh to follow what you have to say from nbaf or anything else where can they do that it's at jason underscore tid and i am at andrew ball <clears throat> b-a-h-l John, he's not here. I will do this in absentia. Uh, he is at APJD Hannah. You can find him at APNews.com backslash. I'm doing the hand motion because John's not here. Kansas. And I'm sure John is doing the hand motion himself as he listens to this now. He's probably yeah, driving back to Topeka. He's like listening to this. <laughs> and it might not be the first time he he sometimes listens to these more than once. Well, if you want to be like John, and you should be. Everybody wants to be more like John. That's true. You can listen to back episodes of Chilling in the State House while you're out on your summer vacation. It's perfect for when you're taking the kids on that long summer road trip to visit family. Yeah, w- waiting in a long line at Disney with uh, sweat pouring down your face and the Orlando humidity. What better than to listen to some State House news? You better be listening on your honeymoon. I don't know if I'll have service or not. (laughs) I'll I'll download it ahead of time. Well, you can download it from anywhere podcasts are found. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. I am already 0 for 1 at posting these on the website, but I will do it, people. I promise. Tweet at me if I don't or, you know, write to my bosses and complain. Angry emails. Yeah, I respond to really anything. Cattle prods. Knock on the door down in the uh, basement. Okay, that would be kind of spooky. I don't know that I like that, <laughs> but uh, go go listen to the go listen to the podcast, folks, and uh, it'll make us feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. And we hope you feel warm and fuzzy for this coming week. Yeah, have a great week, folks. We'll be back here, same time, same place, with John this time. And we promise. We promise. And in the meantime, folks, have a great week. See y'all down the road. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.